Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. My name is Derek Siegel. I'm a building envelope consultant with GCI. I'm excited about uh, today's topic, which is forensic meteorology. And I'd like to take a moment to welcome Rocco Kalachi with LRC Services. Welcome, Rocco. Well, thank you very much, Derek. For our guests, Rocco, and our listeners, would you spend a couple minutes telling us a little bit about um, your history, your training, and how you landed up as the head of Top Notch uh, Forensic Meteorology Organization? Sure. I uh, had a 20-year career in the United States Air Force as a meteorologist, and I was fortunate enough also to be an instructor of meteorology for the Department of Defense. And in those 20 years, I worked at multiple high-profile locations. And and near the end of my uh, career, my retirement, I was fortunate enough to be the manager of the largest military weather station uh, at Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. After my retirement, I got heavily involved in the development of NECTRAD, which is a National Weather Service radar, the nice colorful one you see on television, uh, helped set up a couple of companies across the United States. I started LRC Services in 2006, and here I am today. Thanks, that sounds good. LRC, so forensic meteorology for us, lay people, what do you folks do? I mean, what are some of the services that you provide and, and who who are your primary customers? Is it just storm people that are in the storm industry or what are some of the different areas that you provide services in? Uh, LRC Services provides a variety of uh, products to our, a wide range of clients. We do forensic meteorology, which is basically an after-the-fact reconstruction of weather events for storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, and such. But we also do site-specific forecasting for a wide range of clients. For example, I do site-specific forecasting for parts of South America, China, Africa, the Gulf of Mexico, and across the United States. We also do data research and we issue a daily weather newsletter that provides a weather outlook for the next two to three weeks to uh, eight to 10,000 people and businesses, including the federal government, each day, Monday through Friday. Wow, that sounds like a lot of different areas that you work for and a lot of different customers. I know, uh, you know, GCI is a, a forensic expert that, that you know, does a lot of work in the storm, storm arena. How are you able to reconstruct some of these events? Is it do you rely on a lot of your training, or is there scientific data? Or what are the different, you know, what are the different resources you use to put? You know, I guess it's like looking into a crime. How do you recreate these things? Do you look at facts? Do you look at evidence? What do you? How do you go about it? I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of tools. One, I have access to a number of federal uh, weather databases. These are free to the public, uh, so I can dig into uh, weather that occurred 
as far back as 1980 across the United States so I can find out weather events, uh, what time something happened, the location it happened, who reported it. There's also another tool that tells me all the different types of weather elements such as tornadoes, uh, hail, severe thunderstorms, when they occurred every four to five minutes across any given point in the United States. I have surface observations that are taken at airports and by other agencies. And we also have, again, an extensive background and um, repository of weather radar for the entire United States going back uh, about 25 years. So I can pinpoint what happened over a site-specific address, let's say your house, every four minutes. Wow. So are you saying that what happens at my house it does it does it vary from house to house or location to location and and how does a property's location influence what you know what's going to happen isn't it easy to assume that if there's a, a storm at my house the same thing is going to happen two blocks away or how does that work well everything is broken down into different scales from micro scale to what we call synoptic scale which is very large but we can all we all know that weather is different from block to block, as you pointed out. So some of the other things we do for uh, to differentiate is we make site visits. We go to a location and we look at see what's the surrounding environment. For example, is a building surrounded by taller buildings, or is it surrounded by flat land, which would allow the wind to blow unobstructed? Are there trees nearby? Is it a higher elevation? Is there, is there nearby water that might cause, uh, have a maritime effect? There's a lot of different factors. So just because the wind is hitting your building one way, two blocks over, because of the configuration of the building and the surrounding environment, the wind could affect that building totally differently. Interesting. We, um, I know we had a conversation some time back, and I'd like to you know, bring this up because I know this is fascinating for a lot of our listeners. You basically provide services, is it, am, I, am I correct in saying all across the world or for other regions and continents? Oh, that's correct. So I think you told me a story about a, a barge or something that you, you had to you know, help a shipping company or someone prepare for a journey. Tell us a little bit about that because I think that's, to me, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I have a lot of experience. A lot of examples for that, but the one we were mentioning is I had a, a client that needed to get a, a large barge from the western end of the Amazon River all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean, and it was going to take about seven to eight days. So I had to provide a weather forecast broken down into uh, six to eight hour increments for the entire journey. To do that, I had to have access to um, a variety of weather satellite information over the Amazon basin, surface observations from Brazil, radar observations from Brazil, and information on the climatology of the area. And it took me uh, several days to gather up all my references and sources so I could then come up with a forecast. And we monitored the weather in real time so that if we need to make a slight change to the forecast, we were able to do that. And luckily, we were able to make the uh, have the barge go the entire seven to 
seven, eight day trip without any uh, occurrence of unexpected weather. Wow. That sounds, that sounds adventurous. That sounds really good and uh, very valuable to obviously that client. We also, you know, for our people listening and perhaps people that are not as technologically advanced as you are, to me, is wind just wind? Is there directional wind? Is, are there different winds out there or is wind just wind? Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Well, to the average layman, wind is just wind. But to a meteorologist, wind is just a, an umbrella for a variety of subcategories. For example, we have what's called pressure gradient wind. That's what's uh, that's what drives most of the wind across the uh, globe, and that's the differences and the temperature differences and pressure differences as, on, across the globe. As you see on a map, you see a high and a low, a frontal situation, and those are helping to initiate winds. Then we have what we call thunderstorm winds. These are winds generated by thunderstorms and caused by thunderstorms. Then we have what's called a wind gust. That's a three to five second sudden burst of wind speed. Then we have what we call a microburst. That's when a storm totally collapses and the winds come down from the upper atmosphere, hit the ground, and spread out almost as if a bomb had hit the ground. Um, wow. We have winds associated with hurricanes. We have a variety of uh, winds. Same with any weather element. So, and these can be different, different in intensities, or is a microburst, is a microburst similar to a tornado, or I've heard the term mesocyclone. I love that word because it, it really helps me with my elocution, but is a microburst the same as a mesocyclone, or what is a mesocyclone? A mesocyclone is a large rotating uh, cluster of storms. It can be one large storm, let's say six to eight miles across, or it could be a cluster of storms all rotating. Now, within the mesocyclone, a mesocyclone can then produce large hail, can produce uh, localized heavy winds, let's say 55 miles an hour or greater. It can produce a microburst. It can produce a tornado. It could produce heavy rain. Uh, think of it as a massive storm. A microburst, like as I, as I said, though, originates in the individual storm cell where the storm cell collapses from the top down and as the mass of the storm rushes to the ground it picks up speed and wind and when it hits the ground as i said it spreads out as if a almost like a bomb blast wow is that so that's like has the same effect as a tornado or what is that the same power um it, can, it has the same power but in a different with a different effect um, a tornado is vertical and with mm -hmm. a lot of shear over a short distance, whereas a microburst creates what we call a horizontal vortex or a horizontal tornado so that when it hits the ground, you have this, um, it's like a large barrel rolling around, rolling across the ground and, you know, wow. affecting everything it hits. Wow, that sounds pretty dramatic. I'm sure we've had them around Florida and, you know, Hurricane Michael was just up in the panhandle and those folks got, you know, got really hurt up there. And uh, I was, I happened to be up there. I've, I've had two or three trips up there and, and some of the damage I saw up there is, is heart wrenching. It was just uh, very disturbing. And I know they're struggling to get back on their feet. I wanted to ask you 
because this is something that I'm very interested in, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. Historical weather, you know, that's been going on, I think the last two, three years was very dramatic. We had, first we had Harvey in Texas, 50 plus inches of rain. We had Maria that hit uh, Puerto Rico and Florida. We also had Matthew, we had Irma, and we had Michael. What What is going on? I mean, it, it seems like things are really getting more intense and more frequent. What is, as, a, as an expert, what, can you tell us what's going on, what has happened, and, and what we can expect? If you look at the records, the hottest 10 years on record have all occurred over the last 25 years. Uh, water temperatures continue to warm. We're retaining a lot more heat in the atmosphere as the uh, polar ice caps start to melt. That puts more moisture into the air. And as you have more moisture and warmth, that adds fuel to the atmosphere. And as a result, as anything, the more fuel you have, the more explosive results you can have, which is why we see things like Irma, Michael, and Harvey. All of those were Category 4 storms, and we haven't had that many Category 4 storms in such a short period of time ever in the uh, last 50 years. So I would expect uh, hurricane intensity, storm intensities to uh, continue to remain high uh, for at least the uh, next two to three years until we enter into uh, a possible less active cycle. Downturn. Yeah, and I guess that's um, exacerbated by the fact that the population keeps growing. People are continuously moving closer and and moving towards the coastal areas, which obviously are more prone to uh, catastrophic you know, impacts. Uh, and also we're changing the topography of the land. I mean, you look at a city like Houston, um, and they have a bayou uh, drainage type system where um, they're moving the water all the way from the top of the city synthetically, because obviously not that's not the natural drainage pattern. And it's just flooding neighborhoods left and right because of the, the massive population and the way that we've we've tried to steer water away from residential areas. It, it's not a good combination. Let's just let's just put it that way. I think I asked you, should I start? You think I should start building an ark? <laughs> well, an ark may be a little premature, uh, unless you live maybe up in the Kentucky, Tennessee area. They're getting a lot of rain lately. Really? But I would. We have rising uh, sea levels. In fact, uh, Miami, as you mentioned, there are some areas where the sea level is so high a little bit of rain or a little bit of wind off the uh, ocean causes neighborhoods to flood. And I think this is going to be um, a continuation of this trend for the foreseeable future. I don't see any um, turnaround where we're going to, you could say, gain land instead of losing land. For right. example, in Louisiana, there's a portion of Louisiana, the water rise is uh, so rapid that they lose a football field of land every two hours. Wow. I, I remember being in New Orleans and I came out of my hotel and I looked up and the water was actually above the hotel. And I guess when you're living basically almost underwater before there's a flood, that's, that's a, 
a scary fact that, you know, things are getting worse, especially for a city like New Orleans or the, the Gulf Coast, um, you know, where they've had a lot of this going on. I wanted to ask you, so this this phenomenon, this um, these levels that are rising, the extreme weather, the cold, the heat, um, and the storms, is this just a national phenomenon or is or are we seeing these trends across the world in other countries? It's definitely a global phenomenon. As we're worried here about uh, record cold temperatures or heavy rain, places like Europe uh, over this past winter have had record-breaking snowfall, uh, major floods and droughts in Australia, major droughts in China, record cold in Siberia. So it's definitely, when they say global warming, warming. they definitely mean global effects also. I mean, maybe you don't know this answer. Are other countries doing anything better than us? Are they more proactive? Are are they, you know, I know Holland has had um, the windmill or used um, hydro energy, solar energy. I mean, are we catching up? I know some of the other states like uh, California, Nevada, and Arizona are, you know, are more active with their solar programs. Is is Florida pulling their weight, or are we kind of behind the curve? Well, it depends on who you ask and what area you're looking for. We have a lot of areas where we have solar panels for, like you say, mm-hmm. solar farms, but I don't, I'm not aware of any large-scale uh, wind farms, whereas out west you see thousands right. of acres covered with large windmills. So with it's all a variety turbine, yeah. of uh, right of where you're at. As far as uh, how we rank with other countries, I'd have to say we're probably in the middle. We have some countries that are more aggressive towards climate control, and we have other countries who don't um, make any effort at all whatsoever. So I guess it's uh, we're kind of stuck with what everybody else is doing around the world too. Right, and I guess that's, that's dealing with the consequence as opposed to the cause because like – like the medical profession, oftentimes they're giving medication for for a condition when they're not dealing with the source uh, of you know of taking down forests um, and and doing stuff like that. That's creating this climate change. We're just dealing with the consequence and not really addressing uh, the fundamental cause of these you know of these problems. Um, I also wanted to ask you. I mean, something that as you know. Throughout the years, that's really fascinating for me is the, the storm chaser thing. I've always wanted to just jump into my, my car when I hear about a storm and just drive you know, straight into it. Not really straight in, but at least see it from that perspective. Is this something that you've – have you done this? Are you on, doing this on an ongoing basis, or have you ever done – have you ever been a storm chaser? I've chased many storms over my, over my years. I've chased – hurricanes along the coastline. I've chased tornadoes in Alabama and Mississippi and Texas and Oklahoma. There are actually commercial companies that will um, you can sign up for and go out and they'll try to chase a tornado with you. They'll try to locate where a tornado is going to form and they try to uh, take you out there within a safe distance and let you actually mm-hmm. watch the tornado form and dissipate. Wow. Interesting. So Looking into our crystal ball, is there anything 
any technology coming down the pike in the future that's going to improve or make us better able to to have more accurate forecasts or or help you know the population be better prepared is there any newer technology that you've seen in the works out there coming everybody relies on computer models um, now we can make computer models by having faster computers but we're not providing better information and until we can provide better information more detailed more routine and incremental information our models won't be able to really provide any mm -hmm. greater accuracy and the reason i say that is we can and you know like right now uh, we have a weather station let's say i'll say in in biloxi and then another one in new orleans and another one then in houston but a lot of weather happens in between those three locations and we don't have right. any real-time information for that we need more real-time information spread across the United States and the globe to access, then feed that into a computer model, and then we can, we can maybe have greater accuracy. But until we get better information, the models aren't really going to do much. I, um, I recall seeing a program fairly recently about NASA, how much they're doing, and I know it's, it's fascinating. They're actually, I guess, studying because they have all these global satellites Obviously, I, don't, I think they're probably, they have the best or the widest array of, of satellites around the, around the world. Um, they're actually studying marine life and ocean currents. And, uh, and it was fascinating to see how, you know, the ocean, obviously, that takes up more than 70% of our Earth, is related to our weather. Is there any correlation or how do you, I mean, obviously, you don't look at, when you're forecasting a weather system, you're not looking at the temperature of the water, are you? Are you using any of that data? Oh, definitely. You have to know what's happening over the water. As you said, 70% of the earth is covered by water, so you've got to know what's happening over the water as it starts to move uh, towards land. Um, that's very, very important in places like Japan, the United States, uh, Europe, parts of Africa. Uh, you have to be aware of what's happening over the ocean. Like us for hurricane season, we put most of our focus on Africa because the strongest right. tropical waves come off of Africa across the ocean and head towards the United States. So uh, you definitely have to watch the oceans and water bodies to uh, have hey, a good understanding to of, of uh, what's going to happen on land. Wow, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I know I've certainly learned a lot, and I'm hopeful that our listeners also are uh, are happy with you know our topic and our guest today. Rocco, if we wanted to get in touch with you or anyone listening out there wanted to get in touch with LRC, can you give us can you give us the information of how we would get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, first, you could always call me, and my phone number is eight five zero. 830-8656. I also have a couple of websites. The best one, though, is www.myweathersearch, all one word, myweathersearch.com. And that contains a variety of uh, maps for uh, the United States and other parts of the world, real-time satellite, real-time wind information, radar information. And at the bottom of the uh, website, 
I have my daily weather newsletter that goes out, as I said earlier, to about eight to 10,000 people. Uh, but on the web, I have no idea how many people are reading it there. That would, that's another way of getting a hold of me. I have a tab up on the top LRC services where you can click on it and then contact me also. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, once again, folks, Derek Siegel here with GCI. You've been listening to our Everything Building Envelope podcast. And once again, on behalf of everyone, and especially myself, I'd like to thank Rocco Colacci for joining me today from LRC Services. Uh, please don't forget to follow us on uh, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, check out our website at uh, GCI, gciconsultants.com. And uh, we look forward to bringing you many, many more interesting guests and topics for uh, our our Everything Building Envelope podcast series. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.